0: You guys picked the right service to come to because my stomach just attacked me about two minutes ago, <laughs> so I might have to cut this thing short. But um, <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be an interesting service. <laughs> there was a service. This is so inappropriate. I'm sorry. There was a, there was a service about uh, I don't remember six or seven years ago when we were over at Tremont where that happened, where. My stomach attacked me right in the middle of my sermon, and I rushed and did a prayer and then sprinted to the bathroom, and the whole congregation was like, what just happened? It was just weird. Anyway, so anyway. Okay. Keeping it real Living Hope. Here we go. <laughs> so, uh, man, it's good to see everybody, and uh, hopefully you had had a great holiday and, and uh, ate too much food and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, But We're going to keep going with our series that we started a few weeks ago. We're calling Grow in Grace, where we're looking at the the last letter that Peter wrote, the Apostle Peter wrote, uh, before he was executed by the Romans. And and just these kind of very pressing ideas he had on his mind that he wanted to share with the churches that he had influence over before uh, he breathed his last breath. And, uh, and so we kind of got into the meat of the letter last week when he's bringing up this idea of kind of be watchful for false teachers in the church and how that can be really destructive uh, you know, to a church, and you know, he's worried about that. And so we're, we're hitting the second part of chapter two today. We're starting uh, at chapter two, second Peter chapter two, verse 10, and in this will be, uh, Peter really drives the point home. I mean, he really... You know, he he just he just nails nails it in as hard as he can to, to emphasize how important it is that they are cautious about this and the kind of the why behind the caution and and so we do that. So when, when I was um, you know a, a younger person uh, growing up, one of our my favorite uh, Thanksgiving traditions with my with the Meyer side of the family was my grandpa had this big ranch and all the guys would go out before you know get up early in the morning go out before we had our same Thanksgiving meal, and go duck hunting. And it was just a really great time. Just, I loved the time out there with my uncles and, you know, joking around and that sort of thing. And and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And I grew up in, uh, you know, having grown up in Oklahoma, um, I grew up in a hunting family. Uh, you know, I came from a long line of hunters. And so that was something that was always a a reality with our family. And I was never a big fan of hunting myself just because I I am not patient enough. One, people hunt in cold weather. And two, you just kind of sit there in cold weather. And and I just wasn't patient. And then squirrels. Don't get me started on squirrels. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, if it, like if you're hunting squirrels, you can't find a squirrel. If you're hunting anything else, there's squirrels are crawling all over you. It's just ridiculous. So, anyway, but I just wasn't... I love shooting. I'll shoot all day long. I love that stuff. But, but the hunting part, I just wasn't patient enough for. But, I, you know, one of the things, and no political statement. I know we live in troubled times and all that kind of stuff. No, I'm not making a political statement, just telling you about the way I grew up. But, um, like, I, one of the things that was always a part of the way I was raised was... We had, uh, you know, hunting shotguns and rifles and things around the house, but we were raised with a high respect for those, for those uh, firearms. I mean a high respect. It was something that we were, we, we were it was commonplace in our home, but it, but it was not treated casually. Does that make sense? So we, you know, we had, like I said, hunting weapons and things like that, and my dad and my uncles, my, my grandfather, you know, they just drilled into my head and my brother's head over and over and over the respect that we show those firearms because um, while it's not something to be afraid of or anything like that, you have to be aware of the damage that something like that has the capacity to do. And so, so we were just raised with this very high respect. Uh, for that sort of thing. I remember one time uh, I was probably maybe a freshman or sophomore in, in uh, high school at the time. And uh, we were at church. My dad was a pastor. It was a Sunday night and he had been out hunting uh, that afternoon, I believe. And, uh, and so Sunday night we're, we're in the building. Church hasn't quite started yet. And all of a sudden we hear a gunshot out in the parking lot and Everybody's startled. We run out in the parking lot. And there's a, one of the church members, a guy, he's walking towards the church step. He has just gone white as a ghost. He is just pale. Like, and and, uh, and he, the story he relayed was that he had walked past my my dad's van. We didn't have, our church couldn't afford a, um, a church van, you know, those big 15-passenger vans. So my parents just bought one for their personal use and let the church use it. So I learned how to parallel park in a 15-passenger van, by the way. I'm awesome at it. And, um, and so, anyway, but, but he had walked past my dad's van, and my little brother, Jason, who was six or seven at the time, was in the van, and my dad had left his shotgun in the van. And he said he walked past my dad's van, and he heard my little brother go, Ready! Aim! Bop. And he had shot the door. It didn't go through the door right where the guy was standing, but it bulged out like the Hulk had punched it from the inside, right? And so... Like everybody was just relieved that nobody got hurt. My dad was scared to death because he knew my mom was going to give him hell when he got home. like the whole thing it was just this 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 whole big thing right but it was this moment where my dad had foolishly left a loaded gun in his van. he had dropped that level of of respect that he had drilled into me for years and years and years and don't don 't believe i didn 't let him forgive it forget it and so uh, but, he, but he had dropped that, and, and there were consequences to that lack of respect that could have been horrible, and thank God it wasn't any worse than what it was, right? And so this is the case with many things in our life. There, we all have things in our life where you know there's a capacity for damage um, that are not, not necessarily bad things. I, I'll throw out one. Um, alcohol, I think, is another one that's a lot like that. While the Bible doesn't restrict us in the drinking of alcohol, you know, it it, it, offer, it it tells us to use temperance. It tells us to use wisdom. Uh, in the Bible, alcohol actually is something to be celebrated, and it's also something to be warned against, and we all know why. Every single one of us, whether you're a drinking family or not, you've all seen individuals and families who've had their lives destroyed by the effects of alcohol abuse, right? All of us have seen that uh, from time to time in people's lives. And so we know that that while the Bible doesn't say no, it definitely says show respect and be careful, right? Uh, and, and that's, and so there's, you could list a hundred other things like that in your life. Uh, you ever see one of those, uh, those, <laughs> those uh, snake charmer guys on TV where they have the cobra come up out of the basket and, and they're, they're like, you know, the cobra's doing its dance and, and they got to reach in and touch its nose or some of them get really close and even kiss the cobra. Like that's, that's insane. Can we all agree that's insane? That's, that's guy who spent one day too many with a cobra, and it's just, I mean, what, what's that day look like where you're looking at a cobra going, I think I could kiss that thing. <laughs> like, like, what in the world is going through your head on that day, right? And so, like, we, but we, we have to, there are things in our life where they are not necessarily evil, but they deserve our respect. They deserve, they deserve for us to have a high view of those things and, and know their capacity for danger in our life. And that's what Peter deals with this morning in this half of that chapter that we're reading, where he has started last week, where we, we talked about last week, he started with this, this, this concept of beware of false teachers. And now he's going to get into the why, of we, why we should beware. All right. So he starts off with this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says, bold and willful, talking about the false teachers, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Now, this is a weird reference that we're kind of uh, foggy about where it references, he's referencing an old Jewish legend about when when some of the angels fell, uh, you know, uh, rebelled against God and rebelled against heaven and, and God cast them out, that they were uh, um, um, casting um, judgments against each other. It's just this old Jewish legend, right? And he references that. In fact, in the very next book of the Bible, the book of Jude, uh, right after 2 Peter, if you read both of those books, they're both very tiny little letters. You can read both of them, and you'll see that they mirror each other. They reference the same stories. They reference the same ideas. Uh, most biblical scholars believe that Jude probably had Peter's letter that we call Second Peter and, and kind of copied his letter from him with a few differences and that sort of thing. So, so But they're, they're referencing this story, it's a old Jewish legend, and his whole point in this is basically that even the angels don't blaspheme in the way, uh, or even the fallen angels didn't blaspheme in the way that these false teachers are blaspheming. He's making that point. And then he goes on and says this, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, Blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. He's like, they're bringing destruction into your church. I'm sorry about that. I just got an ESPN alert. Uh, uh, Okay. All right. And so, anyway, uh, (laughs) it's bad enough that I got the alert and then I had to check it. So. I can tell you who's up in the polls right now, but um, anyway, so the, he, he's like, he's like these, these, these people that are bringing destruction to your church um, are going to be destroyed by what they're bringing, you know, that, that they won't survive the destruction themselves. And then he says, he says, uh, uh, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes. Reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you, he's like these are these people, like just live life their own way in the face of a God who calls them to do differently. They're bold about it. They do it in the daylight. They don't even try to hide it. They come in amongst you and try to sway you away from the gospel that saved you. And and uh, and and it's, he just he's just emphasizing the kind of grotesqueness of the way that they try to deceive. He goes on in verse 14, he says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of and here here comes another reference. This is to an Old Testament story. He says they follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, this is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It's the story of Balaam. And it's this uh, prophet who decided he was going to use his prophecy to profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, and uh, money and stuff by prophesying against the people of Israel and against the will of God. And so he's, he's on his way to do his evil deeds that he had concocted, and he's riding a donkey along the way, and God sends an angel to stop him in the path that he's riding his donkey on. He can't see the angel, but his donkey can see it. And it has a sword getting ready to strike him down and everything. The donkey gets off the road. He's like, I'm out of here, right? And and so Balaam gets frustrated. He's trying to get his donkey back on the road. His donkey is like donkey's stubborn and won't get back on the road. Balaam starts beating the donkey, get back on the road, get back on the road. And then finally, God gives speech to the donkey and the donkey turns around and starts talking to Balaam. He's like, dude, I'm trying to help out here, right? There's an angel about to strike you right there on that path. And and I'm trying to help out. And so go read the story on your own. But my favorite part of the story is that when the donkey talks to Balaam, I'm sure Balaam was shocked, but Scripture doesn't record that shock. It's, he just starts having a conversation with the donkey. <laughs> he just, he just, he said, so it's really, it's really a great story. But anyway, so he, so he compares these false teacher to that, to, you know, to even this story and Balaam and how he wanted to do wrong and make profit off of it and stuff like that. Then he goes on in verse 17. He says, "These are waterless springs, mists driven by a storm. For for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved." For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They entice with sensual passions those of, uh, those of you, he's talking to the church, those of you who have just barely escaped. He's like, some of you are just fresh, freshly saved, freshly out of your life of sin. You've just barely escaped all that mess, and they're trying to entice you back into it. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And then he finishes up here, starting with verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. For what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So here he brings out, and a lot of people have made a lot of big theological jumps over this. I think that's a mistake. I think he basically gives this principle that for those who have experience the grace of Jesus Christ, experience that salvation to then turn again to their life of sin away from God and turn, turn again to their life of sin. He's like, it's, it, it would have been better if they hadn't known grace in the first place because they returned to a worse state. And again, a lot of people have tried to make big theological statements about this. I don't think there's anything theological being said here. I think it's observational. I think it's something that a lot of us, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've observed in other people, where you've seen people come to faith in Jesus Christ, experience that new life, only again to fall away and go back to their life of sin, and they go back to it even harder than they did before. They go back to it, and they, it, it, because they've experienced life and they go back to death, it, is, um, it just wreaks havoc on them inside, and, and we, we've, we've, many of us have witnessed that in people. And then he caps it off with this this old proverb where he says, uh, like, a a dog returns to its own vomit. It's really disgusting. You know, like a dog that'll throw up. He's he's had a batch of chocolate, right? He's thrown up. And then he walks around the house, and then he sees his vomit again. He's like, oh, there's still some good chunks in there. And, And so, and then laps it back up again, right? Yes, it should turn your stomach. That is Peter's intent, is to turn your stomach. He wants you to realize how disgusting it is to experience the grace of God and go back to what Christ has saved you from. It is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And so that's his whole point. Now, the problem that many of us have in today's world is like I was talking about earlier with the guns and the alcohol and things like that. We have something in our midst that is so dangerous, so destructive, and and we have become jaded to it and have started to not give it the respect that it needs. Not fear, but respect. And that thing is just plain and simple, sin. The Bible, you you cannot read the Bible and not come away with the fact that the Bible's pretty serious about sin. Pretty serious about sin. Uh, and again, Jesus, what Jesus did for us on the cross and w- what he's done through his, for, through his resurrection and everything else, he has conquered sin and death. Sin is not something that we have to live in fear of. It's not something that we have to live in shame about whenever we sin. Our sins, because of Jesus' full act of forgiving us, he has forgiven us our sins, past, present, and future. We stand forgiven. We don't have to live in fear and shame anymore. Praise God. Amen? That's a good thing. But there is still this weight to sin that the Scripture constantly reminds us of that we need to be aware of. It's not saying live in fear of sin, live in fear of every, you know, every time I sin, I'm going to go to hell or anything like that. It's to recognize the destructiveness of sin in our life, the potential for destruction of sin in our life, and treat it as such. To Treat it as something that, yeah, I have victory over this thing but I still understand the capacity it has to destroy my family if I'm not careful. I still understand the capacity it has to tear me down and keep me from a beautiful relationship, uh, 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 like unfiltered, unhindered relationship with a holy God if I'm not careful. And so we we treat sin as defeated, but we treat it with respect because we know the destruction it can have in our lives. We're plain and simple. We live in a very jacked up, very sinful, very fallen world. You just watch the evening news one time and you'll see how fallen our world is. It is messed up. And so how do we then, how, do, how should we then as followers of Jesus Christ process this concept of sin after we've been saved, after we've been forgiven of all our sins? How should we then handle sin Sin in the world, sin in our lives, sin maybe in our church or amongst our brothers and sisters or whatever, like how should we handle that? And so I think a lot of it, how you handle it, it depends a lot on the kind of religion you practice, all right? And I want to kind of break that down for you right now. So the first one I want to talk about, we talked about this a little bit last week, is legalistic religion. Legalistic religion. Legalistic religion, are uh, people who are legalistic are people who are uh, constantly trying to um, um you know, do good things do good works, not sin, just so that God will approve of them, or just so they can be holier than the people around them. a lot of comparison happening a lot of it's, it's a very it can be very dysfunctional, it is very dysfunctional in a church life in an individual's life it helps you from it keeps you from keeping the main thing the main thing because if all you 're ever doing is thinking about how good you are versus how bad everybody else is it can be it can just really jack up your thinking and people who practice legalistic religion and by the way if you don't think that's you be careful because someday it may be we are all natural legalists we naturally gravitate towards legalism and we have to be constantly reminded of the grace of Jesus Christ to keep us on the path of grace otherwise we just it, it doesn't mean you're a bad person it doesn't mean it just it's just human nature to steer a little bit towards legalism and before long you know how that goes you're eventually way over there in a legalistic path but legal, people who practice legalistic religion obviously have a very high view of sin they take sin very seriously, but that high view of sin mixed with legalism causes them then to reject the lost world around them. So you have people who are Christians standing in their stained glass cathedrals, throwing stones at everybody else outside the cathedral. Uh, you know, just trying to shame everybody out there and all this kind of stuff. They reject the lost world uh, because they don't want to become infected by their sin, and and because they're holier than thou and all that kind of stuff. That's what legalistic religion does to a person. High view of sin, they recognize a serious of sin, but that legalism mixed in with that high view of the sin causes them to reject the people who need the gospel. Now, on the flip side of that coin, you have this group that, that they're the cheap grace religion people. These are the people who, who don't understand the weight of Christ's sacrifice for us, and so they hold that grace very cheaply. And what they do is they, that every, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm You know, it doesn't matter how you live your life. I'll live my life the way I'm living my life. You live your life the way you want to live your life, and we'll kind of leave each other alone, and we just kind of overlook everything. We pretend that everything's kind of okay, and, and, and maybe we even do that with ourselves, and, and you know, I'll, I'll allow myself to participate in a lot of different sinful choices and things like that. Why? Because, ah, I'm forgiven, so who cares, Right? If, if my sins are forgiven past, present, and future, then I got some future sinning to do, right? And so that, that's cheap grace type of people. They have a very low view of sin. They do not take it seriously, which causes them to have the opposite effect of an indifference towards a lost world. They look at the lost world around them, and they're like, ah, it's all going to wash out in the end. It'll all be fine, right? And they, and they kind of do that thing, low view of sin that spurts, that you know, a uh, indifference to a lost world. Now, where we want to be is, is right here on this third one, which is gospel-centered religion. Gospel-centered religion, that we are aware of what Christ has done for us. We take that seriously. We, we hold that sacrifice of Jesus Christ for, for us as something precious. We understand what it cost him. We hold it as something precious. And that causes us to have A high view of sin, we take seriously sin. Why? Because if somebody gave their life for me, then I don't want to sin against him. He obviously loves me to the very end. And so because of that, I want to commit myself to love him in a similar way. That's just what human decency does. So a high view of sin that then results in us realizing that we've been called to go and rescue the world. Why because this world is washed over by sin, it is washed over by death. It is it is eaten up in its fallenness and they need to be rescued by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I will look at the world around me. I will recognize the sin that they're all still it's the sin and death that they're still all trapped in because I was once trapped in it too. I will recognize the seriousness of that and I will do everything I can to go and introduce them to the savior who can rescue them. Why? Because I've been called to live on a gospel mission to go out and take the good news of Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs it. And that's the difference, that we want to be that gospel-centered people who recognize the capacity that sin has to destroy. Why? Because we see it all around us. We see it taking, taking effect in our family members and our friends and our co-workers. We see it all around us. We see the damage that it can do, and we want to go and rescue people out of that. That's the gospel call on our lives. Now, one of my favorite shows on um, TV is The Walking Dead. I love The Walking Dead. I love, maybe a little too much, The Walking Dead. If you don't know The Walking Dead, uh, first of all, I'm not even sure how we became friends. But... Um, but The Walking Dead is a show about the zombie apocalypse, and it's kind of a—they call it a—a a story of a survivor, horror, survivor horror, or something like that. So anyway, it's just a zombie apocalypse. Zombies everywhere. Uh, it's gross. It's—it's it's brutal. It's—it's it's a bleak picture of of the future. All that kind of stuff. But it's just just really good storytelling. Really great show and everything. And so. But there's that, that I, in, the, in the Walking Dead universe, you have you know, this handful of people who are survivors of this zombie apocalypse. The world is completely eaten up with zombies. They move in huge herds and everything else, and everybody's trying to avoid that fate of you know, getting infected with that disease that they're all infected with. And it's actually kind of similar to spiritual life. It's actually kind of similar, similar to spirit, but kind of the flip side of it. Because we don't walk out as survivors amongst the dead destroying the dead. Instead, we get to do what even Rick Grimes can't do, which we get to walk amongst the dead and offer them a path to life. It's this really beautiful thing that we get to do. And so what I want to point out is this big point is that we as Christ followers, we walk in new life called to rescue the dead. Because Jesus, when he came and did everything he did for us, he, I've, you've heard me say this a hundred times before, Jesus did not come to make good, or bad people into good people. He's not concerned with making bad people into good people. Jesus' plan for your life is not for you to clean up your potty mouth. Like, that's not why he died. He didn't die on the cross so that you would say fewer cuss words. He didn't die on the cross so that you would manage your money better. He didn't die on the cross so that you would be a better daddy or a better mommy. He didn't do any of that. What he died on the cross for is because we were dead and he made us alive. He is not in the self-improvement business. He's in the resurrection business. And when we are resurrected to new life in Him, then what when we start following the teachings of Scripture and we start becoming a member of a community of believers who can keep us on the right path and that sort of thing, you will see improvements in your life. You will see that you start to make better choices and set yourself up for better success in life and things like that. That's just a natural outpouring of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But Jesus didn't come just to make you a slightly better version of yourself. He came because you were dead and He wants to make you alive. And we all walk out into this world week after week as those who have been called out of death into new life amongst a people who are still walking around dead with the ability to have a gospel-centered focus in our lives that will be a lifeline to those people to introduce them to a Savior who can bring them also from death into new life. It's all about life. It's all about death. It's all about how we walk in That dynamic. Now, for us to do that well, that's really really the tricky part. Again, we live in this very weird um, day and age where, well, first of all, like don't go to work tomorrow and walk into work and and proclaim loudly, you're all dead. Like that just won't go well for you, right? It's just not, not a good conversation starter, not a good icebreaker, okay? And so like it just, So how do we do that, though? How do we go about living our lives in such a way that we can offer a lifeline to those that are dead into new life? And the answer is that we just live life around them. We live life around them. And what we're tempted to do, and what so many of you have become really good at do, doing, is that you're, you're really great at camouflaging. There's this dynamic. Since Peter started off with some gross stuff, I'm going to follow his example this morning. So there's this dynamic in The Walking Dead where a lot of times if, if, if they're trapped in a situation and they have to pass through a big herd of zombies, they uh, take one of the dead ones and just rub their uh, guts and blood all over them and walk through the herd unnoticed because the, the smell is masked or whatever, right? And some of us have become masters of camouflage and are spiritualized of, of kind of doing the same thing. I'm surrounded by people who don't know Jesus so I'm just going to rub that stuff all over me just to blend in, just to get through, just to blend in. I'm going to go as a living person into a dead world and get through by just pretending to be dead. And that's not the life that Christ has called you to. Now, he's also not called you to go out and just loudly proclaim judgmentally that everybody around you is dead and, and beat them over the head with scripture and, you know, be holier than thou. And I mean, nobody wants a jerk, right? I mean, nobody's attracted to that at all. But I'm telling you, if you get around, uh, get around people who are uh, far from God and you begin to live a life around them that just is an example of the beautiful life, the joy, the peace that followers of Jesus Christ can experience it, it'll, it'll be like moth to a flame. You will become so attractional, so attractive to people around you. They'll, 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 be, they'll be looking at you going, I don't know what it is he's got. I don't know what it is she's got. But man, I need some of that. Like, how is it that that guy can go through the same cruddy circumstance I went through, but he comes out on the other side with some level of peace or even more inexplicably joy? Like how is that even possible? And they begin to see in your life something that's not present in theirs, and pretty soon they're asking questions. They're going through hard times in their own life, and because they see something different in you, now they're they're going, you know, how how did you deal with that? You know, they're they're coming to you with life questions, and suddenly these conversations start taking place. You don't win the dead over to life by just being sour and judgmental and you know, preachy or whatever else, you win the dead over to life by actually showing them what life looks like. What li- and some of you have been given new life and you have covered it up with death all the time. Like, like the life that Jesus Christ has given you is just straining to get out of you and you're doing everything you can to suppress it. And Jesus is calling you to actually go out and what did Jesus say? Go be salt. Go be light to the world. Be a difference maker. Be a difference maker. Salt is great. I love salt. Anybody else fans of salt? Love salt. Love salt. In fact, I wish Jesus would have talked about butter instead of salt because butter is so much better. Salted butter, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> salted butter, right? That's some good stuff. Like but go, go be butter to this world. Go be butter. Just pour. We, when, when we go camping, Isaiah and I will go camping sometimes, and, and we always do these foil pack hobo meals. I just you know pile in sausages and vegetables and everything, and everybody gets their own foil pack, and everybody's foil pack gets an entire stick of butter. It's the best. It is the best. I know. You guys are like, Jeff, you're going to have a heart attack. And I'm like, eh, okay. So butter, man, it's so great. I don't do that every single day. But when I'm camping, I'm, 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 oh, and you just hear it, hear that butter sizzling on the fire and that, oh, it's the best, it's the best. Like, but the thing about butter, I mean, I we can all know that there can be too much salt. Who here has a kid that's put too much salt on something and ruined their meal, right? We've all seen that habit. There can be such a thing as too much salt, there can be such a thing, obviously, for your heart and stuff like that, as too much butter in your diet. But the thing about it is that when it, it's not about how much it is, it's about the fact that you are making a difference. You are adding flavor to a flavorless world. You are at, you're, you're adding something, to, you know, it's, it's the difference between a good restaurant and cafeteria food. You know what I'm saying? You go to, you go to the ones all-you-can-eat cafeterias. I mean, the all-you-can-eat is pretty great, but it can, the food is usually pretty bland, pretty bland. But you go to a really great restaurant where they know how to season food and it's all great, and a man, that's how we should be in this world. Whoever you come in contact should suddenly feel seasoned. They should suddenly feel like, wow, the, the, the attitude, the climate just changed. Anybody know people like that? You get around them and you're just like, oh my gosh, I just immediately feel better having been around that person. Like that should be the love of Christ and the joy that comes with the Holy Spirit living your life just, just coming out of you at all times around people all the time. There should be something that they pick up on and go, man, I want some of that. I remember one of the first times I experienced this in my life, I was, I was in college, and I was around a, a group of guys that I hadn't met before. They were kind of new friends, and uh, and these guys just lived in joy and excitement about their faith, like I had never seen anybody do before. Like we'd go into a, you know, KFC or something, and they'd they'd be standing across the counter from the lady at the cash register, and just joy, just spraying off of their face and just sharing the love of Christ with people in a really bold but not obnoxious way. It was just joy. It wasn't judgment. You know what I'm saying? It was just that. And I just, I remember being around those guys going, oh my gosh, like I've been a Christian my whole life, but I ain't got what they got. I need some of that. And I realized I had been suppressing that joy all these years. I've been covering up with death all these years, and what the world needs to hear and what the world needs to see from followers of Jesus Christ is people who are actually walking day to day in new life, Amen. New life—that's what's available to all of us. It doesn't have to look goofy, it's, and it's not even about people who are outgoing versus people who are, you know, more inward or whatever. That's not—that's not—that doesn't really matter. I'm telling you, even if you're, uh, you know, a very kind of closed-off person, you. Can't, introvert, introvert. that's the word I was looking for. Even if you're an introvert, um, y- you can still kind of bleed the peace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the joy that comes with the Holy Spirit in your life. You, that can still even come out of you, even if you're an introvert. It's not about, you're, I mean, because you might hear that, those stories and go, I'm not that type of person. I'm not really that type of person either. But what I can do is I can walk in the peace of Jesus Christ. I can. What's the Bible say? You'll have this peace that surpasses understanding people around you will look, you shouldn't have peace in your life right now. You're going through some heavy stuff. Why is it that you have peace? Why? Because I know who's in control. And I know that once I was dead, now I'm alive. And I know that I need to be able to offer this to everybody else around me too. Everybody. So I walk in this gospel-centered lifestyle because there's a world around me that needs rescuing. And what we tend to want to do is that we want to jump in the pit. We see someone down in the pit, and we're like, oh, you're in a pit. Let me get down there with you. And we jump in with them. And you can't rescue anybody out of a pit if you're in the pit. You can only be a hand up and out of the pit if you're outside of the pit. That doesn't mean we ignore the pit. It doesn't mean we walk around the pit. We take time. We take attention. We take effort. We, We might get a little dirty, but we lift people up, and we lift them out. But we live in this world, this jacked up world of dead people throwing parties for dead people. It's so messed up the way our world lives. Like if, like the, the, all the people up in Butte County, like the hell that they've been through over the last month is just, it, it's heartbreaking. Like Phil was telling me some of the stories he was talking about earlier this morning. It's just, ah, oh, it's just gut-wrenching to hear that stuff that they've had to gone through that they've had to go through the the loss that they've experienced materially the loss that they've experienced relationally just the loss of their beautiful community and like well, how do you go home to that and all, just all of that stuff and and god bless them and god bless all those first responders that went up there to help out and really put themselves in harm's way to save lives and save property and just manage that whole situation god bless them but But entertain this for just a second. What if all those first responders had driven up to Butte County and gotten out of their trucks and just set up a table with balloons and pizza and little prize gifts and pin the tail on the donkey? It was like, hey, we're here. Come on over and let's party. Like people that are going through such horrific things would be looking at like, are you kidding me right now? Like I'm on fire and you got water. Like, I'm literally on fire, and you got water. Help me out. I don't need a party. I need to be rescued. And we, got to, we live in a world of dead people throwing parties for dead people. And it, they disguise it as compassion. And it's not compassion, it's cruelty. It's cruelty. We need to be a church of first responders who are sent out every single week into the world that we live in to offer rescue to people who are dead, who desperately want to be alive. That's the calling on our lives, and that's what Peter's trying to drive home in this passage. He's like, you guys have got to stop taking lightly the sin that has infected this world. There's a path out, and for you to not introduce people to the path out of that sinful fallen world, it's not compassion. It's cruelty. Don't let yourself get so eaten up with it that you become that dog going back to its own vomit, or you become that pig going back to its own slop, don't become that person. Recognize the seriousness of the situation that you live in and the fact that God sends us all out as first responders to this world that he loves and cares for and take up that mantle and go out and bring people back to life, bring people to new life. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. So let's be that. Like I can get behind that. I can get behind a church that's about doing that. I can't get behind a church that's just, you know, judging the world and constantly throwing stones. I can't get behind a church that just ignores the world and just kind of has their own little country club atmosphere. I can get behind a church. I'll give my life to a church that sees its job as we're in the rescue business. We're in the resurrection business. I can, I'll give my life to that. Let's be that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you call us out of death into new life. We thank you that you you, you made the way for that to happen. And God, forgive us when, <coughs> when our view of sin is so low that we just overlook people who are in need. Or we have even trained ourselves to overlook our own need by justifying every poor choice that we make. God, thank you so much that you, you provide a way for us to not have to live in guilt and shame because of our sin. Because you know how screwed up we are. You know that we're going we're gonna to be sinning till the day we die. But I thank you also so much that you call us to new life and you you begin the process of changing our lives. So even as sinners who are far from you, we can look back over the course of our journey with you and see progress that we've made, see bad habits and poor choices that we've left behind, see how we have improved. We have become better moms and dads and husbands and wives and friends better community members. We, 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 you, you lead us to something better than what we were. You lead us from death into life, and I, I thank you for that. But God, help us not to stop there. Help us to see the need all around us and respond to that need. Give us courage. Give us courage. Help us to leave behind the cowardly methods of just disguising ourselves with death to fit in. Give us the courage to stand up and offer people the help that they want. God, more than anything, God, I pray that you would just help us to leave this room today and go out and live a life, a real new life, a resurrection life in front of the people around us, a life that's so attractive, so contagious, that people around us will just immediately see you and want some of that. So guide us in that path. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's good to see everybody. We'll see you next week when it will actually be December, which is crazy. Crazy. All right. See you you later. Have a good week.